Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that you continue to bless us, protect our good citizens of Acadiana, and we ask that you again uh, take care of our families and our businesses. We ask for your wisdom and your direction in our lives, and we ask, as always, uh, we pray in your name. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. We feature outstanding Catholics from all over Acadiana. Today, our guest is Miss Kim Boudreaux. Kim is a fantastic uh, Catholic and Cajun from right here in Lafayette. She runs uh, Lafayette Catholic Service Center and all that goes with it. And welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you, Todd. Okay, so Kim, let's start at the beginning because I know you're you're an incredible person and you, you felt a calling at a very young age um, to serve. And I want to hear really from the beginning how that kind of led up. But tell us about you. Tell us about yourself. Thank you for having me uh, on your show this morning. Um, and I, I, to share a little bit about how I uh, began my journey, um, you know, from the beginning, I can remember as a child actually going to, uh, to Mass at Our Lady of Lourdes. And, um, and in somehow in my childhood memories, associating my faith with people that were suffering. Um, and, you know, as I would encounter my faith in church, it was always sitting amongst people that were um, in wheelchairs and with IV bags and, um, and with the sick and the suffering. And, um, and I think from an early age that, that had an imprint on my heart and on my faith. Um, as I grew up, I, I, I always thought maybe that was why my mom brought us to, sorry, mom, why my mom brought us to uh, to Lourdes for Mass, but as I grew up later, my, my brother told me that it, we went there because it was the only 30-minute Mass in Lafayette. That's right. It was always the shortest Mass. I remember that part. And, and so, uh, you know, in a way, I feel like, you know, God has our backs as parents when, um, and, and, you know, fills in for the gaps sometimes, and, um, and but that, that had a fundamental imprint on my heart at, at a young age. And, um, and as I, you know, went through high school and college, uh, faith was an important part of my life. And uh, at a very young age... Um, you go to high school in Lafayette here? Lafayette High. Okay, all right. And uh, went to USL. Um, and uh, one of the last, uh, you know... You're one of the last USLers. <laughs> one of the I've last heard USLs. that everybody that comes on the show says that. <laughs> I was part of that group. <laughs> okay. And, um, and so, you know... At, at, I guess in my early 20s, um, at 20, 21, I started feeling a calling on my heart to give up everything that I had and to live a life uh, of service to those that suffer and to the poor. Um, I didn't know what that meant, and I felt like maybe later in my life, when I would retire, I would do something uh, charitable with my life. But uh, God was persistent in pursuing um you know, this calling in my life, he made it obvious to me in many ways and through my prayer life and um, that my calling was now. I really want to dig into that because I know a little bit of that story from you that <laughs> of what I've read, but, but people want to know and people, little girls that are listening out there and people that aspire to be great, great young leaders in our Catholic church, I think want to know. And my, I've had my daughter ask, you know, did, was there a conversion moment you know, around high school, what was it? Was it one moment, or was it a bunch of little things that led up? 
I had a big moment um, probably my freshman year in high school. Uh, I was in public school. I, I didn't have a, a true faith formation, and I ended up going to a retreat called Veritas, mm-hmm. probably because you know there was maybe some boys that I thought were cute that were going, and um, and so. I ended up at this Catholic retreat, and that was a turning point in my life. I had a, a major conversion, um, and I like to say God made himself obvious to me at that retreat. Supernatural? It was a supernatural experience. Love and, that. Um, and from that day on, I could not deny um, God in my life. I couldn't deny um, that this was going to be an important part of my life, and you know, of course, high school years and teenage years are hard, and I, um, you know, ch- was challenged just as much as every sure. teen- teenager and high school student to uh, to walk a life of faith. Um, but it always, at the, de- the deepest part of who I was, it was important to me at that at a young age. So for me, my conversion was at Curcio, and I knew my life would never be the same. It happened like a lightning striking, you know, but you know, I, I'm curious, was it a feeling? Was it something that you saw supernatural? Was it all of those things? I guess for me, sort of all those things. But a lot of people that have come onto the show speak it, how they had this experience in front of the Eucharist. But do you remember uh, how that went down? You're digging deep. <laughs> I'm digging deep. I want to know. People want to know. They want to um, know how we got all these great Cajun Catholics. What's the What's the recipe? Uh, you know, and... and you told me we can't edit this, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so give us the light version. It's, it's, Something you'd there, rather keep personal. It, it, so there was, I think, it was during the rosary. Um, we were at Lake Author, and um, and I'd never prayed the rosary before. Um, I didn't have one on me, so someone gave me one to use, and um, we were on our knees, and we were. Um, all praying the rosary on on, an, on the Saturday afternoon of the retreat, and um, and as we were praying, I didn't know the words to the prayers, um, and so I, I knelt in silence. I didn't know how to move, you know, the beads um, along, and so I just kind of held the rosary in my hand, and um, and they would say a prayer, and every time they said that prayer, um, the skyline over the lake would fill up with um i was seeing like the uh, uh, images of um of the outline of people and it was like thousands of people um and it was it was like light um and as they would say this prayer the skyline would light up with these these illuminated people and they would just ascend and disappear into the sky and it happened multiple times while they were praying, and 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 uh, you know it was just kind of an odd thing, and um, I thought it was you know maybe I was seeing something and I didn't understand it. Um, after the rosary was over and I was handing my rosary back to the woman that gave it to me, um, Laura LaHaye, who's well known in our community. Um, she said, "Well, how you know, my precious lamb? Like, how did how did you uh, how you feel about the the rosary?" And I said, "Yeah, it was, it was good." I said, "You know, I just had this bizarre you know vision of these illuminated people like floating up into the sky and disappearing while y'all were saying these prayers." And um, and she you know she started to uh, tear up and she said, "Do you know what 
prayer that was, and um, it was a prayer to release, you know, souls from purgatory. And mm. I said, well, what's purgatory? Mm. <laughs> and so it began a, a journey for me um, in experiencing something that, um, I, you know, that evening being told what the prayers were and what they meant and what purgatory was and how powerful um, the prayers were and, and witnessing for myself firsthand um, that vision, it was, um, it was profound for me. And, um, and I like to say God, God made himself obvious to me on that retreat and, um, and has continued to make himself obvious to me in my life, maybe not in supernatural ways, um, but in many ways, in small ways every day. And, and in natural ways. And in natural ways. And that has been a great blessing throughout you know, my life is, is God being obvious. And, and I've prayed for that. And um, I owe a lot of what I've accomplished in my life to, to God's obviousness. Uh, you're listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. Today's guest is Kim Boudreaux. Uh, Kim, thank you so much for sharing that story about your faith conversion moment. You know, I, I had a dream. I'm going to share with you this week. This week, I went to Quebec, Canada, and I had this crazy supernatural dream, and it is very similar to what you're describing to me. And I was on in like a forest or whatever. I'll keep this short because I want Kim. This interview is about her. But you know, the more I would raise my hands up to heaven, and there were other people around me, the more I could feel God's love. And it was like we were. I read this book recently where dying is like is like like a baby being born you know it's in the womb and when the baby comes out he doesn't know that there's a whole nother world out there but yet uh death is like that when you die you don't know but there's a whole nother world after you die you know and so anyway it was like we were in the womb in this forest in this tree and 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 we could feel god's touch like as if a, a pregnant lady was holding her baby from the outside you know and the more good thoughts we would have or the more we would raise our arms to heaven the more you could just literally feel him hugging you so anyway, I don't know. It's similar to what you described to me for me, you know. But uh, anyway, so, um, so, so Kim is a superstar in Lafayette. Most people don't know. I heard this this morning, and it described you to a T. In our faith, some people are thermometers, you know, and, and others are thermostats. For us that are in the newer age world, right, or millennials, uh, the nest, you know, we have a nest at our house that we set the temperature on. But, you know, in our faith, wherever we go in our business or wherever, you know, we, we're there and we're whatever. If people want to talk about faith, we do. If they don't, they don't. There are some Catholics like that. Probably describes most of us. But some others set the thermostat on where they want it to be and everyone around them has got to deal with it. And I think that describes you because you've taken this huge step in your life. Some of us dream about selling everything we have and chasing the Lord, you know, but this, this little girl's doing it. I mean, she's doing it. I mean... And so what led you, I can't believe you've been there 18 years, you know, but tell us a little bit about Catholic Service Center and all that goes under your umbrella and how, how that, that plays in your life. Um, well, it has been a, um, I like to say, instead of that we've grown as an organization, um, we've evolved. And uh, over the years, uh, in coming to Catholic Charities, um, I first started in my work in, in actually selling everything that I had owned and doing going into foreign missions for for, for a number of years um, and after September 11th um, t in 2001 I felt like it was uh, no longer I was I was by myself in a mission um, 
in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, working with some Jesuits um, to establish the first life team parish in Asia. Mm. And um, on 9/11, mm-hmm. wow. And um, and so I came home uh, to Lafayette after uh, 9/11 when flights were allowed to resume to the states um, from Islamic countries and. Um, and my mama told me it was time to stay home. <laughs> and she said, there's enough need here in Lafayette. And, and I just didn't feel um, a connection, a uh, spiritual connection with the poor in America after spending um, so many years in third world countries. And I worked in Calcutta and in Mexico and um, Thailand and Malaysia. And the depth of poverty that I had um, encountered in those countries was so profound that I felt I was going to spend the rest of my life in, in mission, and I didn't understand poverty in America. And um, but my mama kept saying, you know, there's there's poor people suffering here in town, and why 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 aren't they enough for you? And um, and I prayed on that, and you know, and I felt like you know, in prayer, I said, God, where do you want me to go? And um, I'll go anywhere, and I'll do anything, and I'm, my life is yours, and I'll serve you in any way, and. Um, I'll go back to India, I'll go back to Thailand, and um, I'll be a nun. And in prayer, I felt him saying, go to St. Joseph's Diner. And that just wasn't cool enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like I needed to live this radical life because I had done so many radical things. And I felt like, um, you know, I was supposed to do something extreme. And, um, and I kept hearing God say, go to St. Joseph's Diner. And... And there was a whole lot of pride back then, and um, in my in my spiritual life, and um, and personally, and 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 I and I remember saying in prayer, they're just not worth my time. And I felt like you know the orphans in India were worth my time, the lepers in India were worth my time. I worked in an HIV orphanage in Thailand; they were worth my time. And and I just felt like homeless people in Lafayette. I just I kind of felt like wasn't worth my time. And and I was saying that in prayer. And one morning I, I got up and I said, God, you know, where do you want me to go? And I felt like he said again, go to St. Joseph's Diner. And I said out loud for the first time, I said, it's just not worth my time. And I felt like that morning um, in prayer, God God said to me, and this when it comes to supernatural experiences in, in your faith life, this was one of them in, in my life. I felt like I was hearing God say to me, not in an audible voice or not, but in my heart, I felt like God was saying, you say they're not worth my time. You say, I'm not worth your time. And I'm just as present in the poor in Lafayette, Louisiana, as I was in Calcutta in the lepers. And I was just as present here in your family, and in your friends. And your call is to serve, not to judge. And I'm calling you to serve me. And you're saying that I'm not worth your time. So that got my attention. I got dressed that day, and I went to St. Joseph's Diner uh, in the fall of 2001. And um, and I've been there ever since. <laughs> they, um, they, they offered me a job that day, um, and I said yes because... You know, I didn't know what I was going to do, um, and I thought it was temporary. Um, and I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come work here until God shows me what I'm really supposed to do with my life. Um, and 
And it just opened up my eyes that day when I went to St. Joseph's Diner. I didn't serve behind the counter, but I went and sat with the people that were eating there that day. And, and it just opened my eyes um, to the reality of poverty in our community and the reality of the severity of mental illness that is um, that exists amongst uh, people that are experiencing homelessness. And, um, and that day changed my life. Uh, and... And it also, as I began to uh, understand the different programs that were offered by Catholic Charities, that they were offering, through the various programs that they operated, uh, opportunities that we're so fortunate to have as Americans, uh, the opportunity to transform your life. And that in the other countries I worked in, they didn't have those opportunities to move forward in their lives. And if you were born poor, you would die poor. And we're so blessed in America that if you're born in poverty, you know, you're only limited by by yourself. And if you want to move forward and, and change your life, you know, you can. And I saw that the programs that Catholic Charities ran um, were providing that opportunity and that vessel for people to change their lives. And, and I was blessed to be part of that organization and part of that work of helping people um you know, come out of homelessness back into uh, living on their own and and, and becoming um, independent again and, and being blessed to accompany so many people uh, over the years in transforming their lives. And so it has been um, a, a beautiful journey um, these last 18 years. And, and like I said before, I don't like to say that as an organization we've grown, as an organization we've evolved. Mm -hmm. And we have, I feel like we've closed as many programs as we've started. And um, because the needs change over the years. And and so we've been thoughtful about the way in which we care for our vulnerable neighbors um, and those that suffer. And, uh, you know, programs that we've started have been um, Stella Morris Hygiene Center. We realized that uh, people were bathing behind the dumpster at St. Joseph's, Joseph's Diner uh, before they would come in because there was no place for them to shower. And so we felt like it was important that uh, people that were unhoused had a safe and decent and place to take a shower and to wash their clothes and uh, to use the restroom. And so we began that work uh, about nine years ago and opened up a hygiene facility um, we recognized that homeless veterans were about 60% of our homeless population in our community. Um, and we had about 300 homeless veterans about 12 years ago in our community in Acadiana. And that was just something that was gut-wrenching. That's and a big number. It is a big number. And it was we felt unacceptable for uh, the men and women that you know signed up to serve our country to uh, come back and have no place to lay their head and to be on the streets. And especially at that time, there were so many Vietnam-era veterans that remained on the streets after decades. And uh, so we began uh, a program specifically for homeless veterans called St. Michael Center for Veterans. And we worked in partnership with, and we still do today in partnership with the VA, and in particular the VA Medical Center out of Alexandria too. Uh, focus intentionally on the specific needs of veterans and to make sure that they're attached to the benefits and that they get the benefits that they um, are entitled to. And um, today we average about 30 homeless veterans in Acadiana on any given night. 
Um, for the most part, we know who they are, um, and we are working towards um, housing plans to make sure that they get housed as quickly as possible. And, um, and so I'm proud of the work that we've done around veteran homelessness in Acadiana um, in our partnership with you the should VA. be i've seen the facility it's phenomenal you know they have saint bernadette's as well and they, they're just all over the place uh kim's doing an amazing job one of the things that caught my attention was they they have a, a burial for the those the un, the unknown tell us a little bit about that yeah that was um that was something that i never thought i would do and i think my seri- my life is a series of things that i never thought i would do um but there was a gentleman that had been a part of our programs, had been homeless for a period, a long, long period of time, who uh, who I became very close with over the years, and um, and we had housed him finally after decades of being homeless, and um, and he passed away in his apartment, and um, I was told that his family had claimed him and buried him, and um, we had a prayer service and a memorial service for him um, at Catholic Charities and um, about six months later I found out that he had not been claimed and that he his remains were still at the coroner's office and um, so I approached the coroner's office to claim Brian and, uh, and to offer him a proper burial and it was at that time that I realized um, or I discovered that there was no process for uh, people that went unclaimed in Lafayette Parish uh, to receive a burial and that there were over a hundred uh, cremated remains at the coroner's office that uh, no one had claimed uh, and they dated back um, I think the oldest was maybe in the 60s um, I'm going to jump in and say this is in Lafayette Louisiana this blew my mind she's talking about a hundred unclaimed bodies you know that it, I, I just never would have imagined in our little community that, that, that there's that, that need and, and that there's that problem. That's staggering. And that's what I felt when I started asking questions. You know, when I went to claim Brian, they, they said, yeah, you know, I said, well, why hasn't he been buried yet? And, well, we don't have a process for that. I'm like, well, what about the other ones? And, you know, and, and so it just led to a series of questions that um, I never thought to ask because I always thought it was just taken care of. And... And it wasn't, and um, and I felt like that was something that needed to be taken care of, and we needed to have a way to um, to claim the unclaimed. And I thought that there was something significant about claiming, um, especially claiming someone by name, um, if they were not claimed in their life, to claim them at their death. Um, I thought there was something significant about having no one be left unclaimed in our community um this issue still exists i'm sure and i'd I'd like you to tell our listeners how can they help and tell them about the service that that the catholic church does for them right here at cathedral so most people don't know so we do an annual burial now the first one was in 2012 and we buried uh i think it was somewhere around 140 um people was our initial burial to make sure that everybody that had been unclaimed up until that point received a proper burial we were um when i got the list of names many of them had been uh, former clients of ours that um that we knew loved and served and it was heartbreaking for us the pallbearers that served that day were actually residents of our homeless shelter um and they were friends 
of many of those that um, we were burying that day. And many of those that served as pallbearers that day actually have been since buried through this process. Mm. And so I felt like that was um, and has been a powerful part of this this annual service that we do on All Souls Day at Cathedral of St. John. I think that my message has been and always will be regarding this service in particular is that it's a reminder to me every year of how many people walk in our community alone every day. Many of these people come from nursing homes. Many of these people um, are homeless at their death. Um, and it's a reminder of how many people, we bury about 30, 40 people um, a year, how many people walk through our community alone. And it's a reminder to me, and I want to send this message to our community, seek out opportunities to accompany those who are walking through our community alone, um, whether it be in nursing homes, um, whether it be in, um, in homelessness. Um, come, in, come and eat lunch with us at St. Joseph's Diner and, and befriend someone. Um, and so this is the how we need to get involved. And I have to tell you, honestly, I, when I came to meet you, I was scared. I'm a scaredy cat. And uh, I, you go around St. Joseph's Diner, and there's some there's a rough-looking crowd, you know, and I'm like, oh, Lord. You know, it's a little scary, but it is very safe, very mm-hmm. safe. And they made it that way. And, and it's uh, that I got to serve one time, and it was such a, such a blessing and experience that I, I think everyone should have. So how – what do we need? What is the need out there? I do, I do, I do want to mention before we only have a couple of minutes left in the show. It went by so fast. I need to get Kim back on. But, you know, I want to say this. If, if my, my mom never had a little girl, but if she did, I promise you it would be Kim, <laughs> Kim Boudreaux. And, uh, you know, she just – mom started the Monsignor Segura Center, which I think eventually yes. became Catholic Service Center. And so, you know, it's just this – her life and your life have been hand in hand. I thought it was cute how you like to fish at Grand Isle. My mom <laughs> grew up with a camp at Grand Isle as well. And yeah. that was something about fishing and Catholics, right? And it goes back to Peter. So, you know, but how can people, what can they do? By the way, they've recently acquired FoodNet, and that's a wonderful blessing. Yes. Mom would be so proud yeah. to have Kim run in that organization. You know, I think they can do so much more with it. FoodNet's not going to change, I don't think, just mm-hmm. coming under another umbrella that will be better utilized. But how can people help? Well, and I do want to, um, because this is a big part of what we're doing now, I do want to mention um, our growth in this season, um, that when – Bishop Desitel came in a few years ago, and he came to see us. Um, I'd asked, you know, early on the first month when he came here for a whole day with him. And um, his secretary said, oh, Kim, you know, nobody's getting that much time. Everybody's getting a minute with him here and there, and he hasn't met the priest. And I said, well, just, you know, just tell him I want to spend a day with him. And and he actually accepted a full eight-hour day with me. I said, well, what am I going to do with him for eight hours? I (laughs) thought it was one of those deals where you ask for eight, you get two. But that said something to me um, about Bishop Desitel um, in that he accepted an eight-hour day to spend with the poor. Um, and, I, and, and when he came to see us, he, he just was so natural and just he was so pastoral amongst those that we serve. And, and, um, and he said, I, I, want, I love what we're doing here, but I, we need to do this throughout our entire diocese and we need to reach every corner of our diocese. And he challenged me at that time um, to broaden the scope of our services. And, and that was an exciting challenge for me, especially after being with the organization for so long, to have a bishop that is encouraging growth of charitable works. 
And so, you know, shout out to the bishop. Yes, uh, I, I adore the the heart of this bishop because his love for the poor and the suffering. So we're out of time. I have to have Kim back for a whole nother show because we didn't even get started. Doggone it, you know. <laughs> but again, you're listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. Thank you, Kim, so much. You're a blessing to our community. Keep up Thank the you. good work and let us know. Reach out to Catholic Charities. I'm sure they can use the help monetarily, physically, any way you can. Uh, unleash the Cajun Catholic in you. Until then, next time. <laughs>